Blog Talk Radio. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Good morning. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the second half of Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. I want to let you know you can follow me on Twitter, at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. And on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Also, let you know you can now hear us on Amazon Music. They have started their podcast streaming. You can hear us there, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, as well as here on Blog Talk Radio. I just want to thank you again for your support, and I hope you've been enjoying the shows. Well, this morning, wow, amazing, amazing, epic writer, a young guy. Um, he was named 100 Global Thinkers by Foreign Policy Magazine. His books have been shortlisted for the Booker Prize, and they have been translated into more than 30 languages. Amazing. Um, his first book was called The Fisherman, and today we'll be talking about an orchestra of minorities. Uh, welcome to Gozi Obioma. Thank you very much, Joy. It's a pleasure, really, to be here. So I should say um, uh, Ututu Oma? Say again? <laughs> Ututu Oma. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. So you speak okay. people. I didn't know that. Oh, I speak a lot of languages. <laughs> but a little. I'm not fluent. You know, I'm not fluent. You know, so like Balu, right. I know thank you, Adi, uh, Mom. Uh, I think I'm fine, but just like a little thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's wonderful. I mean, it's is 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 our language, you know. I think it's, it's the language of every black person, I, I believe, you know. So we're one. Yes, you know, your book um, is talking about many things. You know, first the individual on the micro level, but then the individual is two, and then the Spirit is talking about the macro and history and the external things that are going on. So um, why don't you read? You have some section you can read for the audience just so they can get a taste? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, let's, let's well, start with that. Yeah, so I always prefer to read from the very beginning, you know, because okay. I feel like this is a novel narrated by a singular narrator who is actually also a character in the novel. And so its voice is what you hear now. Chuku, if one is a guardian spirit sent for the first time to inhabit a host who will come into the world in Umwahia, a town in the land of the great fathers, the first thing that strikes the spirit will be the immensity of the land. As the guardian spirit descends with the reincarnating body of the new host towards the land, what reveals itself to the eye astonishes. Suddenly, 
as if a primordial curtain has been peeled off, one is exposed to an interminable stretch of leaf green vegetation. As one draws closer to Umuahia, one is enticed by the elements around the land of the fathers, the hills, the thick, great forest of Obutiuku, a forest as old as the first man who hunted in it. The early fathers had been told that the signs of the cosmic explosion that birthed the world could be seen here, and that from the beginning of time, when the world was partitioned into sky, water, forest, and land, the Obuti forest had become a country, a country more expansive than any poetry about it. The leaves of the trees bear in them a provincial history of the universe. But beyond the exaltation of the great forest, one becomes even more fascinated with the many water bodies, the biggest of which is the Imo River and its numerous branches. That river weaves itself around the forest in a complex circuit comparably only to the human veins. One finds it in one part of the city sprouting like a deep gash. One travels on the road for a short distance and it appears as if out of nowhere behind a hill or an enormous gorge. Then there, between the tides of the valleys, it is flowing again. Even if we miss it at first, one only needs to tread past Bende towards Umwahia through the Ingwa villages before a small, silent tributary reveals its seductive face. That river has a distinct place in the mythologies of the people because in their universe, water is supreme. They know that all rivers are maternal and therefore capable of birthing things. This river birthed the city of Imo. Through its neighboring city runs the Niger, a greater river which was itself the stuff of legend. Long ago, the Niger overran its boundaries in a relentless journey and met another, the Benue, in an encounter that forever changed the history of the people and the civilizations around both rivers. Wow, wow. So uh, if you're just tuning in, that was Chigozi Obioma, and he was reading from his book, An Orchestra of Minorities. So mainly, let's start with the characters, just to kind of break it down for the audience. You have uh, the chief who's speaking about what happened to Chinoso. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes, yes, Chinansa. Um, and Ndali? And Ndali, yes. Okay, and so they're two lovers, and they are going through their life, and things are happening to them, but there's this chi that is telling the story. Explain what this chi is again to the audience. So I was for a long time uh, interested in certain cosmological text around the world, especially in the uh, Western tradition. So I, I became aware, of course, of uh, Paradise Lost by John Milton, which kind of, uh, you know, documents the cosmological belief, the Judeo-Christian belief of the creation of heaven and hell and Garden of Eden and the first man and all that. But mm. there's also Dante's Inferno. So I thought there was a gap in African literature we have all these beautiful cosmologies and religions, and, and there's no cosmological novel. So I thought, okay, why don't I have one in the Igbo tradition? And uh, at the core of that tradition, of that belief, is the chi, 
which is a spirit that uh, is believed to ensoul every individual. <clears throat> so it comes into you before you come into the world to be born, and it mm. lives with you throughout your lifetime. Now, does it influence the character? Does it tell him what to do? And sometimes he does, but then sometimes he holds back. Are there laws? <laughs> There's laws for the chief? Talk about that. There's so, laws for the chief. So I think that the best way to understand the chief is that it is an index uh, of every living person. So it, it, it kind of uh, has obviously a role in that. It is supposed to help you further orchestrate your destiny, uh, but it cannot, uh, you know, uh, persuade someone. It cannot compel one against their will. So, so the Igbos also still believe in free will, but you can be coerced into doing something. The chi can insist in some way, but you know, if you refuse or reject that counsel, then you know it doesn't follow through. So, the fundamental axiom in the Igbo worldview. It's only kwe, kwe, which means that if I say yes, then my chi also will say yes. If I say no, my chi will say no. So which means that sometimes there can be a discordance between the chi and the host. Now, the main character, he's a lonely guy. He's young, but he's very lonely. You know, right now with COVID, a lot of people are lonely. <laughs> you know, so they the novel are. is very timely. <laughs> yes, very timely. And you know, how are people dealing with this? How are you? Are you? Do you feel lonely? Do you have your family around you, Chikozi? Or you know, because but, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. He he he's a very lonely character, uh, and you know, I I feel like the world is experiencing something, obviously everyone knows this, so it's a cliche, but something that is uh, completely unusual, once in a in a century or even two centuries thing. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of been a very depressing time. Uh, I, I got the virus myself very early on. Uh, I had I had kind of a, a, yeah, I was kind of sick. I mean, it wasn't too bad, but, you know, I recovered. Wow. Pandemic. Yeah, were you yeah. nervous? So, so were you concerned? Yeah, were was, you nervous? Was, well, at some point, yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there, there was a time when there was a cocktail of uh, sicknesses. You know, I had fever. At the same time, I had, uh, you know, I was coughing and all that. And I was like, man, this is like kind of weird, you know. It was, yeah. it was just like everything was happening at the same time. Mm. Now, when you were younger, you were in the hospital for malaria. Is that correct? Well, everybody gets malaria in Nigeria, so so I. Like, <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> so that's yeah, not but, unusual. <laughs> no. But um, when you were in the hospital, I read that your dad used to tell you stories. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Some of the stories that he told you. Well, so, um, you know, the the evolution of my becoming a writer is that is one that is in some ways very dramatic, or I just make everything into a drama, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it was it, it was it was very interesting in that uh, I had these spells of, of malaria and that would, you know, usually end up in the hospital and, you know, they would just tell me stories. And you know, the more the more they told me these stories, 
uh, asking me to close my eyes. You know, I, I felt like a kind of a new world opened in my mind, a kind of, my, you know, consciousness, a different yeah. consciousness that I wasn't aware of. And, you know, that was really when I began to uh, imagine stories and characters and worlds. Mm-hmm. So now who, um, in the book, you deal with the issue of class. Right now, again, I'm going to go back to the COVID. Um, and also I can talk to you about the issue of the, the racial unrest here in America right. and also in other parts of the globe. It's not just America, but I live in America, so that's my focus. Um, you know, people are having to deal with this COVID and the racial unrest and class comes into that. You know, people who are poor are dying, you know, from COVID. People of color are dying faster than, you know, other people. And then, you know, the simple thing of I, I saw a story and the guy was like, I got to buy food or I got to buy sanitary, uh, uh, sanitizing wipes. Which one I'm going to yeah. buy for my mom, you know? Right. So it's a very difficult time. So your character, he is not rich, but he falls in love with mm-hmm. a rich woman. And yeah, uh, go ahead. No, okay. So, yeah, I thought you finished. So that's absolutely true. So I feel like uh, in Nigeria, there, I, I, I like to call Nigeria, for example, uh, a fiefdom of the invulnerable, which means yeah. that the, those, yeah, those who are wealthy, as you say, uh, you know, become invulnerable to many things, whether it is, uh, you know, just common uh, you know, even common sicknesses like malaria, poor people die of it. And we're seeing that instantiated here in America, where, as you say, you know, black people are the ones who uh, uh, mostly do the, the you know, the, the jobs that expose them, at least during when the, the stuff was still beginning, to these mm-hmm. things. My brother, for instance, uh, works uh, in Indianapolis, at a, an Amazon packing plant, uh, mm. sorry, Walmart. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, and I ask him all the time, how is the situation there? He's like, man, when it's just by the grace of God, uh, you know, I'm like close with all the 200 or so people all the time, even though mm. you wear masks, you know, wow. you can't really social distance. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, so that has been uh, my focus uh, lately, I've just been thinking a lot about how, you know, these hierarchies that are created, sometimes very arbitrarily. Once I come into Nigeria, for instance, and people see that I'm coming from America, you know, everybody begins to like, oh, he's coming from a very, you know, he's probably rich, you see. So yeah. they, they put me in a, a different level, you know. So that is what happens in this novel. In fact, Chinonso uh, uh, becomes a tragic character because of his attempt at upward mobility. You know, he wants to become, be in the class, uh, the same class as Ndali, and that's what leads to his undoing. Yeah, it's the sad, you know, part. He's a really good guy, and he's very honest and, you know, forthright and everything, but, um, you know, life happens and, and you have to make choices. And I think that's what the book is also about, all these different choices. Because in the beginning, you know, his friends are telling him, look, like, dude, you can find another woman. Yeah. <laughs> She's not the only one, you know? I mean, I'm just going to explain it. Of course, you have much more elegant language. Let me tell the audience, oh, my God, 
there are some phrases in this book. I just was like underlining, underlining, oh, my God, highlight, because I was reading on a Kindle. And I'm like, oh, wow, that is awful, the analogy. Yes, yes, oh, my God, I can see it. So anyway, the language is beautiful. I'm making it simple. Dude, you can find another woman. That's true, you know. So I, I like to say that there are two kinds of love that works in this novel. Uh, the first one is the reality of love itself. So, mm. you know, even though... Uh, Throughout the the story, Jinon so is surprised uh, that Andali is in love with him, but you know mostly partly because she sees his loneliness and then she pities him as well. The sympathy in that, and so he did not expect it, so he tries to go over and beyond to please her. But later on, when he comes back, you know he goes to Cyprus. And then, you know, that's where the racial issue comes in uh, because, you know, even outside of the West, outside of America, uh, black people are treated very badly in other places, you know. Yes. Mm-hmm. If you yes. read the novel, you, yeah, you, you see how he's treated, you know, he's jailed. And, and this was like that particular aspect of the story was actually informed by something that I actually witnessed. You know, there was a guy who was lied about. You know, somebody said that he tried to kiss her, you know, at a, a cleaner at a hotel. And this never happened. And the guy was jailed, you know. Yeah. And, and put in, yeah, very bad time. So but when, when he comes back to Nigeria, he comes, this is after four years, you know, when he's been away from Delhi. Now the love has turned into a myth. You know, so he wow. and, and and that's what he chases. So the mythology of love eventually, you know, leads to his undoing. So let me ask you this: When you first fell in love, how did you feel? <laughs> Myself. Yourself, Chikozi. How did you feel? Yeah. Well, that that you know, I was very young. I was uh, seventeen or so, or, or eighteen. And it was interesting because I fell in love with a Muslim woman, you know, and uh, my my family were Christians, and you know it was very odd. It wasn't nobody expected it to 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 work out, uh, but you know we we were together for like almost three years. You know, it was wow. very exciting, obviously. Yeah. So what what were some of the hurdles you had to deal with? Well, there was a lot. You know, Nigeria just celebrated their 60th anniversary. Uh, yes, you did. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah. Yes. And, you know, we, we fought bitter wars. Uh, right now we have Boko Haram, you know, even though they've been, uh, you know, emasculated to a larger extent, but they are still capable of, uh, you know, coming out and having guerrilla attacks. So there's been a, a lot of uh, bad blood between uh, Christians and more liberal, non-religious people and mm-hmm. the Islamic North. So it's something that continues. I mean, we could have it, obviously, uh, but there is an animus there. Yes. You talk about the Biafra Wars in the book. you want to tell the audience a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, uh, why not? I, 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 so the the novel 
the story being told by the Chi, the, you know, the Chi is uh, a very peculiar narrator, okay? So it has a reincarnating spirit and it has lived uh, in different instantiations of time, you know, over seven centuries. So it it is telling the story why also chronically the history of the Igbo people over several centuries. So there's a time, for instance, when the Chi lived in America, you know, and then tells the story, you know, so it was writ large in the story of an African man who was brought to Virginia as a slave. So landmark events in the, you know, history of the Igbo people is, chrono- is chronicled in this story. So one of that is that the Chi once lived, it inhabited an individual who fought in the Nigerian Civil War. So on the side of the Biafrans, who were mostly Igbo people, but also other tribes, uh, ethnic groups, sorry, in the in the east of Nigeria. So they were trying to break away from the British establishment, which mm-hmm. they rejected, you know. Uh, with right. Nigeria, obviously, is a construct of the British. So we had some intellectuals, some of them were Marxists, who thought that <clears throat> this colonial structure will not work in the long run. And so they wanted to pull out. But, you know, the rest of Nigeria said, no, we have to continue. So we fought a very bloody war. Uh, my grandfather um, on my paternal side died during that war as well. Mm, wow. Yeah. Yes. You know, that's kind of what what is happening in terms of the racial unrest here. And you can see it in other parts of the world. People are like, this is no longer going to stand. We can no longer stand. We have to break down this systemic racism that is occurring in housing and jobs um, and, you know, all areas of the existence. Um, We're not going to stand for it anymore. You know, people are, are upset, you know? Um, Yeah. No, there's a time when you reach a breaking point and you cannot accept it anymore. I mean, uh, of course, everybody watching uh, that, that, the video of the uh, George Floyd thing, yeah, you know it's it's unwatchable. It's 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 an embarrassment to the country and the world itself. You see, mm. so so you know so I, that really was a major shift. You see, so but they've been uh, even worse ones. Uh, a friend of mine did a documentary for uh, Netflix recently, and uh, I became aware of the of this uh, guy who was shot. Was it thirty three times in the nineties? you know, in New York, mm. uh, you know, it was a black guy, you know, so how can you shoot somebody 33 times, you know, so there's, there's been, a, uh, it's been a history of, of, uh, uh, of, of, of police maltreating black people. So I, I hope that uh, th- there is a paradigm shift now. I, I, I really believe that there is one that is coming through. Your book talks about the duality of things. So we talked about this, everybody has a chi, but you also talk about each person can be good and bad all at the same time, you know? It's not like, um, you know, we're one or the other, that we have a potential to go both ways. Um, so, you know, this is a funny question. I know you're probably going to laugh, but, you know, we have a president right now, and a lot of people on the liberal side, I'll say, there are people in conservative, you know, like, this guy is crazy. What the hell? But you know what I thought about <laughs> one day? I said, he has children. Yeah. And his children are steadfast with him. They're side by side, arm in arm. So this man, does he have another side? 
You see? Yeah. Because, you know, uh, it's possible, right? Based on your book, you know, I'm just using the book as an example, that um, a person can be one way, but then they can become yeah. something else, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. It's so the 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 Bo people, uh, uh, these were people who were very philosophical in their conception of everything to the extent that their language, uh, you know, is the, the language, for instance, does not have uh, a term for the word love, which, you know, it's like in, in almost every language, uh, that is where you have universal grammar, basically, you know. So, but we don't have it because uh, there is an image instead that replaces that, which is Ifunanya, I can look you in the eye. So, so duality, the belief that uh, there are two conditions for everything, two, two parts to everything, is 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 the is the fundamental core of the worldview. So so as you said, there is there's no distinction between the 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 world that is of the physical and the spiritual, which is why sometimes the chi can go into the spiritual world, and while still being in the physical world. So you know, uh, to to bring that more into a kind of an empirical uh, political question. First of all, I mean, I, I hope that the president recovers, but, you know, we, yeah, every, everyone who saw maybe the last debate would would probably shake their head. I, I You know, I, I've been saying to my friends, uh, I watched it, and I thought that it was the worst thing I've ever seen, you know, in yeah. my life. I, I yeah. don't think yeah, I've seen yeah. anything that bad before. But I think I'm a masochist for, you know, putting myself through, I thought I was. Yeah, going I don't watch it because I said I, I don't watch it. I'm sorry. I was like, I don't want to hear what he has to say. I just was like, this is crazy. It it was ridiculous. You know, I, I'm not I'm not gonna watch it. But um, you know, in in your book, you know, you talk about um, you have a lot of like you said philosophical, and the the guy is dealing with birds, and I thought that was interesting. Um, that that was like the focus. But I I read that you had an experience when you were younger seeing a bird attack. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. No, if you, you know, in, in all my books, I believe that we can understand human beings better by looking at animals, you know, and birds especially. So the fishermen, even though, you know, in the title it seems to be about fishes, <laughs> you know, ah. fishes are kind of tangential there. It's more about birds and and human beings. So, so yeah, I, I, I loved birds a lot when I was uh, growing up. Uh, and in this novel, uh, the, uh, An Office of Minorities itself, that title, uh, as some of your listeners might wonder, actually comes from the relationship between, uh, uh, you know, or in fact, let me say the metaphor that you, birds are, you know, in describing the conditions we've been talking about, whether it's the poor people of you know in Nigeria or black people here in the US. So who really are the minorities, you know, outside of like a statistical thing? Yeah. Uh, they are they are these people who are powerless in the world. You know, so when when you look at a hawk attack, you know, or a predator bird striking the the chicks, you know, taking one of them. What does the mother hen do, or even the father hen, you know, the the uh, cockerel? They can't do anything because they can't fight back. 
So all they do is lament. So that song in the Igbo imagination is, is, is what I've translated into the title, An Orchestra of Minorities. So it, it really speaks to that condition again of, you know, us being like at the mercy basically of these right. one, whether it's 1% or 10% or, or the elites. You know, I was younger and I would always think about like why you know, we didn't have a lot of money like when I was growing up. And, um, but one of the things my parents did, we also read a lot. So, you know, I grew up with books, going to the library, my daughter grew up and everything. Um, but as I got older and I thought about, you know, poverty and class and things like that, I realized it was purposeful, that it was mm. malicious and evil. It was purposeful because how can you have all of this resources and money? I'm walking over here right now. I have an iPhone 11, and somebody is living <laughs> in the shack. Yeah. You know, somebody doesn't have water. Somebody doesn't yeah. have medical care. Somebody can't go yeah. to school, you know, and then we can bring in the issue of sexism, which uh, this will be my last question because we are running out of time. But, you know, your your character falls in love with a wealthy woman, a very educated yeah. woman. So I thought that was very interesting. I like that because, you know, a lot of times it's the guy who's educated and, you know, he, he yeah. saves the maiden and things of that nature. Yeah. But, um, you know, your main character, in a sense, saves in Bali. Um, and I was reading, you know, I'm, again, you were talking about your personal stories coming into these stories that you write. Um, mm-hmm. How do you feel about women who are extremely educated? You know, women nowadays, as a matter of fact, black women in America, I think they have more higher degrees than black men. And so the issue always comes right. up in relationships. Okay, if you have a PhD, will you go out with the guy from McDonald's? <laughs> Yeah, so so you're right. Uh, you know, I, I I always wonder the same thing because I'm a I'm a college professor right now. That's what I do, also on the uh, on the side. So I I uh, I always see uh, you know in the in the black population of my students, they're usually more women. I mean, maybe part of it could also be uh, because you know I teach in the English department, but but yeah. So so that that's true. I think that. Um, it's it's something that is changing. Uh, it used to be growing up that uh, the the dynamic favored more of the men being the more highly educated ones, and then you know the ones with all the jobs and, and all that. But now, I mean, who would do, life is more difficult. Like, if, who wouldn't want someone, you know, a woman who even is ahead of you, really? <laughs> you know, at least you can earn more money uh, than you, and then you know. You to you, you support. I, I think that is something that is changing, <clears throat> but I can still see some men who would not, who will feel intimidated, you know, by a woman who is uh, higher than them. But in Chin Onso's case, he doesn't feel intimidated. I mean, he feels uh, somewhat intimidated, but that also only drives him to want to do more to succeed. So he sees her kind of as a model as well. Yeah, yeah. So he he's really um, putting everything on the line for her, and I think that's um, it was it was beautiful. You know, you almost want to cry at some point. You're like, damn, oh my god, please let this work out. You know, oh my god. <laughs> you know? But um, yeah. let me ask you some some just real quick questions. Who are some of your favorite writers? 
Uh, okay, uh, that's a wonderful question. Well, I I love uh, the work of uh, quite a lot of writers. Achebe, for instance, uh, I I read uh, Morrison, uh, mm-hmm. Morrison, uh, Kazuo Ishiguro, uh, and actually I've been reading a lot of Baldwin, you know, and is is one of my latest discoveries. I I, I really, really? love. Yeah, especially his essays. I think that the guy was great, uh, really. He was. Do you yeah. think that's because of and, what's and, going on that you started reading him now because of the racial uh, unrest and things? No, that's a good question. It was it was a, a, a black uh, uh, female student of mine who, uh, you know, one of my favorite students. She she's from Illinois, and we were doing something together, and she was like. You know, I want. I'm, you've been giving me over the years a list of books to read. Now I'm going to give you. <laughs> you know, a list of books. So, okay. so, so I said, okay, I'm going to read. And you know, I, 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 I really. She so it's a gift. So I had to read it. And ever since then, I've been reading as many of his work as possible. Very beautiful work. Very articulate um, and, and and explaining what's happening today and yesterday and maybe right. even in the future. It's timeless. Obviously, His work yeah. is timeless. I mean, I, I read I read this as this and they were set in the thirties and I'm like, my goodness, you know, it's it's so relevant today. You see, very. Yeah. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show, uh, and I wish you much success. I'm waiting for the next book. I'm like thirsty for the next book. I'm sorry. You got a lot of time. The the COVID is going on. I don't think you have to go to the classroom. You can just do online. You we need another book, okay? I'm just saying that, all right. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Joy. And and best of luck to with your program. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful weekend, okay? All right. You too. Bye bye. Okay, bye bye. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Um, I'm going to be giving away a copy of his book, An Orchestra of Minorities, so you want to check me out on Twitter, at Joy Keys. Also check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Also want to remind you, you can check us out on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and Amazon Music, one of the newer uh, uh, podcast streaming medium, Amazon Music, so you can check us out there as well. Everybody have a great weekend. Be safe, stay healthy, wash your hands, all the whole nine, six feet apart, um, and, of course, eat your vegetables. (laughs) Okay, bye. This is me being corny. Okay, see you later. To some, a baby's babbling doesn't mean much, but it does, especially if there's no babbling at all. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Learn more at autismspeaks.org. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council.